Well, if you could please find in your Bibles Proverbs chapter 14. I know the passage is there in front of you, but sometimes it's helpful to see more than just the passage from which I'll be preaching. Little theologians, glad you're here. I'm going to use a couple of illustrations in the sermon that uh, will make sense to you, but why don't you work on drawing a picture of a level, a level, you know, that little plastic thing with bubbles in it that tells when a picture is straight or a piece of wood is straight. Why don't you draw a picture of a level? You'll hear me reference that a little bit later in the sermon. Proverbs chapter 14 is uh, where we are. We'll look at the first 15 verses together. Uh, but before we do anything more, let's, let's pray. Our Father, it is a holy occasion to sit with saints and to uh, hear your word uh, read and preached. You've made promises associated with this very occasion. Do your will. Have your way with us. Use as ordinary means as you choose, words on a page, read aloud, explained by a sinner. We thank you for your work on this occasion. Amen. So Proverbs 14, beginning at verse verse 1, listen to God's word. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to, be, is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. The simple believes anything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. This is the word of our Lord. Uh, Just before our daughter was born, uh, Karen and I did what many people do, uh, expectant parents. Uh, We completely uh, renovated the room in the house that would be her first room. Uh, Floor, wainscoting, chair rails, ceiling fan, everything was uh, freshly painted either white or lavender, and there was an awful lot of lavender in that room. That room screamed lavender. I painted the ceiling fan with lavender. 
It is challenging when we look at uh, Proverbs to find the right overarching theme for any collection. Here, uh, you notice we just read uh, 15 of them. But we know that King Solomon wrote 3,000 of them and over 1,000 songs. And we know that King Solomon evaluated and studied the Proverbs so that he could arrange them. But it just isn't always automatic to see why he arranged them the way he did even just these 15. But when I look at this collection of 15 Proverbs, it seems to me that King Solomon uses a lot of imagery about homes and maybe even home renovations. I mean, after all, he was a famous uh, builder and renovator himself, wasn't he, King Solomon? But you see easily enough in verse one, a wise woman building her house while a seemingly foolish woman uh, tears her own house down, or maybe she's tearing the wise woman's house down. And there's another reference to a house being demolished in verse 12 and a tent that flourishes. That's not verse 12, that's verse 11. And there seems to be, I think, another picture of a house in verse four, at least the, cow, the courtyard of a house where uh, the owners would keep their uh, ox And then there's property around that house, isn't there, in verse 4, the house or the property where the the crops are. Home renovations, we know, are bittersweet endeavors, aren't they? I think there's maybe some home renovating taking place in Proverbs 14. I do remember a summer project with my dad to turn a section of our backyard into a a big, beautiful flagstone patio. It was gruelingly hard work and placing huge slabs of rock precisely uh, was very difficult. Pouring mortar between each of them was very difficult. Dad was doing the bulk of the labor to be sure. But when it was done, my mom was so happy But I got to tell you that after six months, maybe it wasn't even six months, all of that mortar cracked up. The dad did something wrong, apparently. And renovations are just like that, aren't they? They're, They're hit or miss. I mean, even perfectly executed home renovations, even those renovations, they have a limited shelf life. I mean, what happens when a new owner purchases a house and doesn't like the renovations? Well, the precious renovation of one owner is demolished and re-renovated by the new owner. I know for a fact that Linnea's lavender room was quickly and heartily renovated by the new owners. They actually let Karen and I know. There's this collection of Proverbs. It seems to me about making renovations or improvements of some sort. A house, you have to know, in the ancient world would mean far more than it does now. Not utterly different, but far more. In the ancient world, a house stayed in the family forever. And and in fact, nobody ever left that house. You died in the house you were born in. That was normal. And everyone lived in that same house, that same property. And no one moved to Rome after college. And the house needed constant, constant care. It's mostly dirt and brick. It would need a new roof, new walls. It would get a new floor plan. And this happened constantly. Uh, Homeowners weren't renovating for better curb appeal or to use the latest color palette. A house was life. 
It seems to me this collection of 15 Proverbs is not only about the renovation of a home, but the renovation of a life. What King Solomon seems to be saying here is that God's wisdom used rightly actually has the power to renovate your life. I mean, we have a definition of wisdom in this passage, don't we? Just look at verse 2. Wisdom is fearing the Lord, which is what Proverbs teaches from beginning to end. To live with God's wisdom is to fear the Lord. So to believe and trust that he is worthy of worship is fearing the Lord. And what this passage tells us is this, that the renovation of one's life only happens when we fear the Lord. The renovation of one's life only happens when we fear the Lord. Two things I want to draw your attention to, just dividing this passage between verse 7 and 8. Verses 1 through 7 are about renovation by action. Fearing the Lord involves action. And then beginning at verse 8, it's renovation by doubting. Fearing the Lord involves doubt. I'm going to have to explain that. But verses 1 through 7, renovation by action. Um, There's a lot of action words in verses uh, 1 through 7. But let me just assure everyone here right now this morning that you need renovation. There's no one here who is done who doesn't need renovation. I think... At times, it's rather easy to read the Proverbs as if we are the wise person. Of course, we're sitting down reading the Bible. That makes us wise, doesn't it? And we sit and we read Proverbs as the wise person, hoping to be wiser still. Uh, And it's always someone else who is the simple one or the foolish one. Don't we tell ourselves that when we're reading Proverbs? That's someone else. I'm upright or mostly upright. I'm never the scoffer. But the truth is, everyone in this room, you got a little wisdom and you got a little foolishness. Because what this passage is telling us is that wisdom actually vacillates in our lives. We have good days, we have bad days. The proof that King Solomon knows this about us, you have to jump down on the passage to verse 14. You see that phrase, uh, backslider in heart? Well, who do you think that might be? This Hebrew word literally refers to a heart that moves around, uh, slides about in its fitting. It wobbles a bit. It's like a hockey puck moving along the ice. Sometimes wisdom is nearby, but sometimes it gets shoved along the ice just a bit. All of us deal with backsliding That's why that sliding part of the word is there. And it's true that during the time of John Wesley and the the founding of the Methodists, they had a heyday with this word for sure. To backslide was to leave Christianity. And, you know, Jeremiah may be referencing this when he looks out over Jerusalem and he sees a whole bunch of Jews who are perpetually backsliding. And that may be what Jeremiah is referring to. They've left the Christian faith. Martin Luther said that when Christians degenerate, they're more godless than the heathen. And that may be true, but backsliding doesn't have to be a complete rejection of the Christian faith. The truth of the matter is, is that Christians vacillate in their wisdom. I do, and you do. Wisdom slides around in our heart, which means all of us are in need of constant renovation. 
just like the house of the ancient world. But look in these verses, would you, at how the renovation is done? It's very, very active. I mean, uh, right at the beginning, uh, active renovation requires work. I'm going to say three things. Active renovation requires uh, work is the first one. Watching your mouth is the second one. And keeping good company is the third. All this in verses one through seven, but quickly. I mean, you can see in the passage that there is work that's being done. It seems like this woman of verse one is working with her hands to build her house. And some scholars have taken this to be a kind of wisdom that is a building of a metaphorical house. Uh, Almost as if the woman builds her house by maybe managing her household or educating the children or being the crown of her husband or giving birth to kids. And this could be, but... The simplest understanding of verse one is that this woman is actually engaged in some kind of construction project. She's working with her hands just as hard to care for her house as a fool is to tear it down. She's getting dirty. She's getting stuff done. And again, look at verse four. There's more work here. If there's no ox in the field, then the, fe- uh, then the field doesn't get plowed and the crop doesn't get planted. And when that happens, the manger is spick and span, isn't it? There's no ox. Nice, clean manger, but the manger is supposed to be dirty because if the manger isn't dirty, everyone in the house starves to death. The ox needs to be working. The manger needs to get dirty. You want to grow in wisdom? Work. I don't think it's hard to see. Active renovation requires work. The second is this, is that active renovation requires watching your mouth. It's a different kind of action, but it's still an action. The kind of speech that you use ought to be honest speech. Stop lying. But also speech that is humble. Verse 3 seems confusing, but it seems to be something about prideful speech. So be honest in your speech, but be humble in your speech. And then finally, we need speech that actually elevates others rather than destroys them. Look in verse 5. A wise person is a kind of person who's concerned for others seeks to be a true witness for their sake. They don't speak in ways that harm others. So we're supposed to be uh, active workers, but also active speakers. Uh, Our mouths should be honest and humble and others-oriented. There's a third kind of work uh, here in uh, this action of renovating one's life. Uh, Active renovation requires keeping good company. You see that something's being required of us in verse 7? We work, we watch our speech, but also to stay away from fools. You know, in verse 7 is the, is the only uh, imperative command verb in the whole passage. It's, uh, it's the strongest command in the passage. Right there in verse 7, stay away from fools. Don't listen to them. Now, this probably refers to being critical about the kinds of people we listen to, kinds of people we take advice from. I think this is setting us up for who we need to listen to, and that's God. But we are to be critical about the people we spend our time with. If we've determined that someone is a fool, be careful. Don't take their, their advice. And all of this in verses one through seven is to say that uh, that renovation, walking in wisdom, walking in fear of the Lord is actually pretty concrete to King Solomon. There are real things that we can be doing. Proverbs is very clear that the fear, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's how we obtain life. It's how we are confident in life. We fear the Lord. 
Proverbs says we're to fear the Lord always. Proverbs even says that we're to fear the Lord uh, day by day, hour by hour. In the very last chapter of Proverbs, a woman is praised, why? She fears the Lord. From beginning to end, chapter one to chapter 31, wisdom is about fearing the Lord and we Christians get sometimes lost in this terminology. We turn fearing the Lord into some kind of a complex philosophical conundrum. Surely I shouldn't be afraid of God, we tell ourselves. Well, that's fine, maybe not. But fearing the Lord is about having a certain attitude before God. It's about turning from evil, turning from self-centeredness. It's about worshiping God and him alone with all that we are. That's fearing the Lord. And that's what makes us wise. You see, the active renovation of our life is working rather than being lazy, speaking with honesty, humility, and for the sake of others, keeping company with good people. Let's not debate what the term fear of the Lord means. Let's see these active commands and do them. Maybe some of you have heard of Michael Hyatt. He's one of those uh, businessy, productivity guru guys. I'm sure you've seen his books. Uh, Michael Hyatt says that most people spend more time planning a one-week vacation than they do sitting down and contemplating the objectives of their life. Isn't that interesting? You believe that's true? I believe that's true for Christians. What is the chief objective of your life, Christian? What is it that you're thinking about every night before you go to bed? What is it? Something about money, your career, your family, an object you desire, a vacation, an ideal life you hope to one day have? Those are some of mine. What are yours? You see, to King Solomon, wisdom, it's not its own organizing principle. Wisdom's not the goal. Sure, there are concrete things. There's working and speaking, holding company with certain individuals. Concrete things, but wisdom's not the goal. If you want to renovate your life, do your work for the Lord. Say your words for the Lord. Choose your company for the Lord. Wisdom's not the goal. A right understanding of who you are in light of who he is, that's the goal. That's the active life of renovation. Now, the real tricky part, it seems, is beginning at verse eight. It's not renovation by action. It's renovation by doubt. Fearing the Lord involves doubt. Now, I need you to stop and pay attention to what I'm saying here. Verses 8 to 15, they are far less active than verses 1 through 7. You can look at that this afternoon as you uh, read Proverbs 14 yourself. Verses 8 through 15 are far less active. And in his commentary, Bruce Waltke says that if the first part of the chapter is about walking in wisdom, very, very active, then the second part of this chapter is walking not by sight. You remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5? We walk by faith, not by sight. Verses eight through 15 are what it's like to walk not by sight. Renovation by doubt. Well, to walk not by sight is to have a measure of doubt about what seems on the surface to be very clear. 
We don't immediately trust everything, and that's what's meant by renovation by doubt. It's just think about this. Keeping to this home renovation theme, uh, what do you think a bubble level is for? You know what it is. It's that tool that's in a, it's a, a little cylinder of water and a bubble and a long plastic beam. How many times have we looked at something into the eye it seems perfectly level? Only to put a bubble level to it and then really know that it's not level. Sometimes this is surprising. All of us know what it's like to have an aspect of your life that looks and feels level. This part of my life may not be perfect, but it's fine, it's close. No need to renovate my financial situation or my career or my relationships or my marriage. Are you sure? Have each of these areas been touched by this level? If the renovation of one's life only happens when we fear the Lord, then there must be a kind of renovation that is less active. You see, we aren't the ultimate judges of our own lives. We're not made to be that way. Even before the fall, we weren't made to be the ultimate judge of our lives. You see, God, he is the final judge. And that means uh, wisdom, fearing the Lord, requires doubting our own internal level. My son lives in Philadelphia and I recently visited him in his new apartment, just some uh, father and son time. And because my son is far less obsessive about his surroundings than I am, I brought my toolbox and made my way around his apartment to fix some things. He had some wobbly doorknobs, crooked vents on his AC unit, a metal lamp was bent, the legs on his couch were uneven, Uh, light bulbs in his apartment were mismatched. Some were soft white and some were daylight and none of them were LED. LED, these are big problems to me. And as I was tinkering with these projects, John just sat there. He did nothing. But I could hear him on the phone talking to his mother saying, Dad, is Bob the Buildering again? (laughs) You remember Bob the Builder? The song is actually engraved on my skull. Everyone in this room is actively Bob the Buildering their lives. Do you believe that? Everyone in this room, those who profess faith in Jesus, those who don't profess faith in Jesus, it's what humans do. But Christian people are to fear the Lord and fearing the Lord means you submit your Bob the Buildering to God, the great creator, the great sustainer, the great judge of all things. You see, the renovations of one's life requires fearing the Lord. And one of the ways we fear the Lord is we doubt ourselves. We put ourselves in place. Do you see how the verbs change from in verses uh, eight through 15? Maybe you didn't notice this, let me point it out. The verbs, they change. Uh, Look what we see in verse eight. The one who fears the Lord is someone who discerns his way, avoids being deceived. It's a different kind of verb than building something. The one who fears the Lord knows his or her heart. That's in verse 10. That's someone who fears the Lord. They know their heart. 
You see in verse 15, the one who fears the Lord gives thought to his or her steps. The, the verbs, they, they change. They almost soften, become inward. This is more reflective and contemplative than swinging a hammer, isn't it? It's less about operating a circular saw and more about the thoughtfulness of the danger of the circular saw. It's less about cutting and more about what? Measuring. Measuring. The reason the word doubt is important is found in a few places in this uh, section of scripture. Do you see the reference to the guilt offering in verse 9? What do you think about that? It's the only time in Proverbs where an atonement ceremony is mentioned, and I take it to be exactly that, a time of admitting guilt before God. To admit guilt before God requires that we study ourselves, that we submit our findings to him, and that we await his atoning grace to restore us. That's not Bob the Builder in your life. And then look at verse 13 where laughter and joy are misunderstood. Don't we do that? We sometimes misunderstand those things that make us laugh and those things that seem to bring us joy. Sometimes laughter and joy, they need to be set up against a level, God's level, so that God can tell us your laughter and joy are crooked. This is what we're called to do as Christians, to understand that the goal isn't the straightness of our lives according to our own measurements. We can derive immense pleasure from actually displeasing God because in my eyes, it's level. And we laugh and full of joy, happy and ignorant. Woe is us if we do not submit to the level that God has. But the real evidence that doubt is important for the renovation of our life is in verse 12. Verse 12 may be the, the leading verse for this section, verses eight through 15. Verse 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There couldn't be two more contrasting images than this. When the door jam or the picture frame or the cabinet is a bit off, it's usually fixable, but sometimes we can become so self-deluded that an aspect of our life, it just feels right. It feels good. It feels level. And we turn away. We leave that aspect of our life feeling quite happy about ourselves. We say, I'm good and move on. I'm good. How many times a day do we hear that? Do we say that? Are you good? Well, let's ask God. I believe that God is tired of the thoughtless self-confidence he finds in those who profess faith in Jesus and think that they are so very smart. I'm thoroughly tired of non-Christians sometimes being the very ones who are least comfortable doubting themselves. I collect quotes, it's one of the things that I do. And I have a nice big collection of quotes from very smart scientists who actually confess to knowing little about their field of study. And I love those quotes. I recall reading one neuroscientist confessing that we may already know everything we're going to know about the brain. And from this point forward, we're simply chasing our tails. 
The interviewer concludes that maybe the best application of brain science is to remind us that we actually don't know anything about ourselves. What we do know is so small. Why are Christians so slow to doubt themselves and why do we hear folks outside of the church speaking like this? Christians need to doubt themselves that they might elevate God. Christians need to stop chasing after their own identity and instead rest in the identity that they have in Christ. He's the Bob the Builder, not you. One of my favorite uh, poets is a Polish woman who uh, died in 2012. Uh, Her name is Wisława Szymborska. I totally mispronounced that, I'm sure. I'm not trying again. But in her poem, In Praise of Self-Deprecation, you should look that up, In Praise of Self-Deprecation, he says that the buzzard has nothing to fault himself with, scruples are alien to the Black Panther, piranhas do not doubt the rightness of their actions, and the rattlesnake approves of himself without reservations. And she says at the very end of the poem this, there is nothing more animal-like than a clear conscience. And you gotta listen to what she's saying Her point is that sometimes a good conscience is a good conscience according to your own passions, a good conscience according to your own joys, a good conscience according to whatever it is you want to do or think or be, and you're calling that a good conscience. But to be a human is to be the kind of being who scrutinize self to God rather than blindly assume that you're right because after all, it seems right. You see, the Bible tells us that the renovation of one's life only happens when we fear the Lord. And this means that we do our work unto the Lord, use our words for the Lord, keep company with the Lord's people, but it also means we stop and we examine ourselves and we confess and we apologize and we do that straight away. You remember what wisdom is, fearing the Lord. And you remember what fearing the Lord is understanding yourself in light of who he is, not in light of who you seem to be today. There's a couple of things uh, and I'll conclude. You see, if you're here this morning and you're not yet comfortable placing your trust in Jesus, you're not quite ready to profess faith publicly, uh, your life is in an interesting kind of danger because in your life, there seems to be a lot that is right. Maybe you'll admit there's problems, but a lot of your life seems so right that you actually don't need Jesus. You find yourself so right in such a good place with such a good conscience, and yet you reject Jesus. This is a time for you to examine your heart because the Bible says that, well, you're not in a good place. And your seeming is just that, seeming. Hear your need for Jesus in the words of this sermon. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you are with Christ and guess what freedom you have as a Christian? The freedom to examine yourself, to stop, to confess, to say sorry. That's a beautiful, glorious freedom for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have no fear of living an unrenovated life, a life that needs some remodeling. That's not a point of fear for you. You and I know you need remodeling, but he is with you not because you've remodeled yourself, 
He is with you already right now because your life is utterly unremodeled. He's already received you, not because your life could be photographed for a Pottery Barn magazine, but because he knows your life isn't ready for that photo shoot. Not even close. And he knows this and yet he loves you. And he has given all things to you so that you can be free from condemnation and you can allow that bumpy renovation to begin. Wisdom, fearing the Lord, is active but it's also a matter of doubting yourself. Christian, let the bumpy renovation begin. Do you join me in prayer? Our God, we love you. We need you more and more. You have saved us in Christ Jesus and you save us each and every day from ourselves. (laughs) Help us to acknowledge your goodness to us our creator, our sustainer, and our judge. In Jesus' name, amen.